open to, to Psalm 34. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word. But without your word, we would be left in a sea of darkness, Lord. No light. We would be blinded. So we thank you this morning for the privilege that it is that we get to hold the scriptures in our hands, Father. At this point in church history, Lord, where uh, we have readily access available to us are the scriptures. And so we thank you for that, that common grace that you've given us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would now give us a special grace, a grace of understanding, a grace of seeing things as they really are, seeing the truth uh, behind what we can see with our eyes. We pray the way that we would see with our hearts this morning. We'd see you, that we would taste you, Father. Lord, we know without you we can do nothing, and so, Father, we ask you would help us this morning in our time of need. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we continue our series through the book of Psalms, uh, with last week at Psalm 132, this, uh, this morning Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 34. Uh, we've already read it, we've sung it, uh, now we're going to look at it and read it again together here. So uh, you just look there on the page as I read and uh, just listen to the Psalm of David here. It says this, I will bless the Lord. At all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves Many days that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace. Pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Uh, my sermon title this morning is simply, Be Radiant Through Afflictions. And in this title, there, there's an imperative, there's a command on you, on us this morning, to be radiant. This command modified by the preposition, through afflictions. Be radiant through afflictions. And I believe this is the main point of Psalm 34. It's a psalm of David where he is pleading with Israel and now with us, the church, to be radiant. He wants us to do that, but he, but he realizes that this radiance of life that he's calling us into is often hampered by or snuffed out by the afflictions of life. And so realizing that the way men and women and boys and girls look at the world, he encourages 
and exhorts his hearers to be radiant through afflictions. I want to show you from this text why I think that's the main point of this chapter, to be radiant even in the midst of afflictions. Notice if you have uh, the Bible in front of you, you'll notice that this psalm is broke out into six stanzas, six parts. Verses one through three, this is where David is saying that he will praise the Lord all the days of his life, and that he will make the Lord his boast. And right at the end of that section, he invites you and I in to do the same. Verses four to seven, the second section, David here tells of his own personal experience with the Lord, of his own afflictions, and how God rescued him out of it. Verses 8 through 10, David again invites us to come in, to experience this for ourselves, this type of relationship with the Lord. 11 through 14, he becomes the teacher, very much sounding like the opening of Proverbs, wanting to instruct those who are listening to, to what it means to fear the Lord and to how we should structure and live our lives. Verses 15 through 18, he describes the Lord as being on the side of the righteous and against the side of the wicked, very much sounding like the introductory psalm, Psalm 1. Finally, verses 19 to 22, he concludes the psalm with noting that both the righteous and the wicked have afflictions, but that the righteous will be delivered out of their afflictions while the afflictions will slay the wicked. But notice, first off, the, the superscript above this psalm. The, the psalm wrote by David as a superscript tells us of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. This was a time in David's life recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 21. David was on the run from King Saul for his life. Saul had tried to pin David down. You remember David to the wall with a spear three times before sending a team of assassins after him. David was so desperate that he fled to Gath, one of the five main cities of the Philistines. This was like, this would be like us being in enemy territory to escape the enemy. Gath was Goliath's hometown, the giant he had killed years before. Of course, they would know who David was. No doubt that they would realize when David was walking through the city, hey, isn't that David? Didn't he kill Goliath? They knew who he was. And to make matters worse, David was still carrying Goliath's sword, which they were sure to recognize. You see, after David hit Goliath between the eyes of the stone children, he'd taken Goliath's sword and he took it with him. This was the ultimate humiliation for a warrior, to be executed in public with your own weapon. And now David was carrying this famous sword back into Goliath's hometown. This is the setting for this psalm. The people of Gath did recognize him, of course. And he reported his presence to, they reported his presence to the king. And Abimelech was probably the title of a Philistine used for their kings. This is uh, the, the psalmist here, uh, superscripts that it's King Abimelech, and yet the king was Ash, Ashish, if you read that out of uh, 1 Samuel 21. Uh, but this is, the, my father is king, right? This is what Abimelech means. And so this is uh, David being brought before the king. You see, David had fallen out of the frying pan, running from Saul and into the fire, being gassed. He was at the mercy of his enemy Abimelech, and he was terrified. What could he do? What would you do? You see, David was so desperate that he pretended 
to have lost his mind. Scratching the doorpost, letting saliva run down his beard, acting like a madman, and Abimelech fell for it. He, 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 said, he looked at David acting crazy, and he said to his men, do, do we not have enough crazy people already? You got to bring me one more? He says, get this guy, get him out of here. And so instead of killing David, he, he kicks David out of the city. And this experience on David's life, of God's protection of him, had such an impression on David that he wrote two psalms about it. Psalm 56 records David's prayer while he was still a prisoner in Gath. And then Psalm 34, our text this morning, is the song he sang after he was free. You can't tell it, but Psalm 34 is an acrostic, uh, meaning that uh, with every uh, line in the, the psalm, it begins with a, the a Hebrew letter of the alphabet. You can't see it because you don't know the Hebrew alphabet and how it's been transliterated to English. Um, and every verse begins with the Hebrew letter of the alphabet, except the last one. This was, all, this was most likely done so the ease of memory Ease of memory, right? If you, if you had a song which you were trying to memorize, you would, uh, and it was related to the ABCs, it would be much easier for you to memorize. And so therefore, David structures this song in such a way for ease of memorization. David wanted Israel to learn that God saves his people. If you belong to him, he will rescue you. This is the setting of the psalm, the meaning of the psalm. And so in the psalm here, David calls the people to be radiant. To be radiant. So, so what, do you, what do you mean, Pastor? What do, what do you mean when you say be radiant? You, don't, you, you know no one talks like that anymore. Look at verse 5 with me. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. You see, in this section of the psalm, uh, David is, is explaining his own experience. You see, look at verse 4. He says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He, he delivered me from all of my fears. And then he immediately turns to those who would hear him say this and says, that if you look to him, you will be radiant. If you look to the Lord, you are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. So we... David is calling us, you and I, to be radiant. He's saying, be radiant. And so he said, okay, you still haven't explained it. Okay, let me, let me give you an illustration from the scriptures. Uh, Moses, right, goes up onto the mountain, uh, meets with God. And then in Exodus 34, uh, 29, it says this, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. We should be radiant like, like Moses was radiant. You see, the faces of Christians in our day should look like the face of Moses among the children of Israel. They looked at this man. And they knew he had been with the Lord. They knew he had been with God. And notice that like Moses didn't even realize. He was so focused on the Lord, he didn't realize that his face was literally being changed in front of his eyes. 
becoming brilliant. And when he came into the camp, it terrified the people. You and I should be so in love with Christ, so in love with uh, what Christ has done for us that our faces are literally changed. We should be radiant. As Moses was radiant, so also Christ was radiant. John tells us in the opening verses of his gospel, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Mark tells us on the Mount of Transfiguration, after six days, Jesus took with them Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Jesus himself was radiant. He was a light among men. And David is saying in this psalm, if we look to him, we will be radiant. Our faces will not be ashamed. In the same way, Christ calls us to be radiant. Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Paul, uh, this isn't just the Jesus thing. Paul also, Philippians chapter 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. It is among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So the scriptures from beginning to end are calling you and I, if we love Christ, to be changed, to be radiant, our faces would shine before men. Look, look back at verse 5 here. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Notice there's a promise here. There's a promise. It's a promise that if you look to him, you will be radiant. Not you might be radiant, not like possibility of radiance, but that, no, no, if you look to him, you will be radiant. So we are commanded to be radiant, and we are commanded that this is how, as Christians, we should live and move and have our being in a fallen world. And and here David tells us, if you look to him, you can be that. You can be changed. So what what does David mean then when he says, look to him? Look. Let me give you an example of sports. How, how many of you guys have played sports? Just a quick show of hands. Okay, most of you in the room. Okay, good. So, so if, if, if the game is on the line, the coach looks at you and says, Hey, Tommy, I'm looking to you to win this game. Is he, is he simply referring, I'm just going to watch you? I'm just going to look? No, 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 no. There's, there's something deeper here. There's something, there's a trust There is a trust, there's a belief in young Tommy that Tommy can pull this off. I'm looking to you, Tommy, to win the game. In a word, the scripture is calling on you and I to simply trust in God, to believe 
He can do it. To, to not rely on our own ways or our own reasoning, but simply to trust Him. Notice this whole psalm is designed to do this one thing. Look to Him. Verse 3, he's saying, magnify the Lord. He's saying, magnify, make much of the Lord. Not of yourself, but of Him. Look to Him. Verse 3, also exalt His name, not your name, not, don't, not to lift up your own name, but to lift His name up, to exalt Him, to magnify Him. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. David is saying, I want you to not only know this to be true, I want you to experience it to be true. Simply taste and see that the Lord is good. Peter uses this, by the way, Peter uses this as a, as a means of understanding. Uh, if, you, if you are a believer, if you are trusting Christ, 1 Peter 2, 1, it says, Put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He says, if, if you've tasted if you know, if you've experienced the Lord to be good, then you will long for the pure spiritual milk. You will long for Christ. You will understand that apart from Him, you are nothing. You will understand your great need for Him. Listen, brothers, sisters, if you've never longed for God, then this should beg the question, are you truly looking to Him? You see, all of this longing, all of this tasting, all of this seeing, and all of this looking to God produces in you a radiance. This produces in you a love for the things of God, for the grace of God, for the, the people of God. This week I was sitting uh, with a few other pastors on, on Tuesday, and, and one of them, he's an older guy, uh, about 80 years old, 75 years old, and uh, he's retired from the ministry. And, he, and, I, and we were just talking about uh, what young pastors talk about uh, primarily, like, is how, how, can, how can we be sustainable in ministry? How can we keep going? Like, what if all the money stops coming in? How do we keep the lights on? And, and, and some of the other pastors, uh, there's a new church plant down in um, West Jeff area, and, and the pastor, and that, that young pastor was talking about how, what, like, how do you build a ministry, a sustainable church, if all of your converts are simply people who are coming from a, a drug addiction background with no cash, no money, no income, on, all on assisted living um, type of income? How do you build a church off of that? And this old pastor, he, he, he bowed his head and he was crying. And, and we're like, what, what do you think, sir? What do you, give us some wisdom. And he says that the church has gotten off and understanding that, that Christ uh, can not only save us, which he can, he can gloriously save us out of all kinds of walks of life, but he says we've, we've forgotten that, that Christ can actually change us. We've forgotten that Christ can actually change us. He says you no longer have to be a jerk anymore if you become a Christian. You no longer have to be the same person you was before. But that Christ can change us. He can, he can make us radiant. Like He can give us a new heart, a new creation. The, the, Paul says that we are a new creation. 
This is why when we meet people who say they're Christians and yet their lives look exactly the same as they did before Christ, it begs the question, have you really tasted the Lord? Have you really seen that He is good? Because according to David in Psalm 34, verse 5, those who look to Him are radiant. But not only radiant, but radiant through affliction. Look at verse 19. says this, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Let that statement sink in for a minute. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Don't, don't move too quickly from that. Jesus said to his followers, in the world you will have tribulation. Apostle Paul went around to his church plants and as he gave them basics of the Christian life and taught them Through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. And to the Thessalonians, Paul writes about their afflictions. You yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Being God's people, the righteous, is no promise of earthly ease. In fact, when it comes to promises, we are promised afflictions. And not with just some, but this text tells us Many, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And so we might say, well, that's pretty poor treatment from an all-powerful God toward His people. Why then be His? Why should we follow this Christ? Why should we follow this Lord? Why bother being righteous? To which verses 21 and 22 make clear that the affliction serves two contrasting purposes for the righteous and for the wicked. For God's people and for his enemies. It says this, affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. You see, affliction ruins the wicked. That's the end of their story. Those who don't follow Christ, those who hate the Lord, those who hate the righteous, affliction will be the end of their story. That's it. That's the end of it. You say, well, I thought God works all things. He does. The Lord works all things together for good for those who love him, not for everyone. But affliction makes the righteous. It is not their end. In fact, affliction often reveals the true callers. It has this humbling effect rather than a hardening effect. Affliction has a purifying effect on the righteous while having a punitive effect for the wicked. The wicked will not, or the wicked will be condemned at the final judgment. The righteous, though afflicted, and through affliction, will not be condemned. But the Lord himself will redeem their life. And so we need to ask more of this text here, right? We need to ask, what is this, how how do we know if we're righteous? Who, Who are the righteous? In verse 15, who are God's people? Who are his servants in verse 22? Who are his saints in verse 9? Because we want to be that, don't we? We, we don't want our affliction to be meaningless. We, we don't want our affliction to be punitive. We want our affliction to be producing in us something more than that. And so Psalm 34 tells us far more about God's people than that they are righteous. Look at this, verse 2. They are humble people. God's people are humble people. Verse 5, they are those who look to Him. 
verse 7 and verse 9, they are those who fear him. You should be thinking as we read through this, does this describe me? Does this describe my life? Verse 8 and 22, they, they take their refuge in him. Verse 10, they seek the Lord. Verse 14, they turn away from evil and do good. Verse 18, he calls them brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. Broken and crushed. Is this you, Christian? So the, the whole psalm here implies, and as verse 19 makes explicit, God's people will suffer. They will. The affliction of the righteous are many. Listen, we should take this with seriousness, church. We do not pretend that Christianity and the church and and following Christ frees us from the troubles of this world. In fact, we assume that it will bring more, not less. Many afflictions. And so Peter tells his readers as well, he not only quotes the taste and see um, verse out of this psalm, but he also quotes uh, later on in First Peter chapter 4, he's, he's, he's talking about arming yourself with the same way of thinking. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Expect it. Be prepared for it. And all of this to say, like, this affliction, the troubles of life, should not damper the radiance with which we sign Christ. We should be radiant through afflictions. You might be wondering, though, how do we know it's true? How do we? How can we know what David is saying is true? How do we know God will actually do this? How do we know He will keep us? How do we know He will deliver us from our afflictions? Brothers and sisters, we need only look to Jesus for that answer. Look back at verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be Condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. You see, David understood that the Lord loved his people. He understood this. He understood. He just acted like a madman, was given a way of escape. He understood that the, the God of heaven would watch out for his people. He understood that, that God would not abandon his people. But I wonder if David actually knew what he was writing here. You see, what God intends to show us through this psalm was that as the Passover lamb from Exodus chapter 12, as that Passover lamb would have no broken bones, so Christ, our Passover lamb, would have no broken bones. John 19, 36 says, For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. This is when uh, the Roman soldiers are going uh, to the three crosses and they're breaking the legs of the two men on the sides and they get to Jesus and said, No, don't worry, he's already dead. And they shove a spear into his side, and out come water and blood. And then John says these, For these things took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Psalm 34, verse 20. Jesus 
endured many afflictions. Like, like, just look back at this text. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. David, uh, while he believed in the words he was writing, could not have known that what he was actually saying is that Jesus on the cross would not have his legs broken. Like, he didn't realize he, that's what he was saying, but he believed in what he was saying here. And so he knew God intended to tell us that through verse 20 that here he is talking about the Lord. Here he is talking about Christ. This is the way the New Testament reads this psalm. Many are the afflictions, and instead of the righteous there in verse 19, read Christ. Many are the afflictions of Christ, but the Lord delivers Christ out of them all. He keeps his, all of Christ's bones. Not one of them is broken. You see, the, the Passover lamb that Moses referenced in Exodus chapter 12, well, that, there it says, it, sh- uh, it shall be eaten in one house, you shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. This Passover lamb would be a picture and a representation of Christ, the Passover lamb, who God uh, loved and did not break his bones. Jesus endured many afflictions. He endured the cross, but he did so because there was a great joy set before him. I said this, this, this whole psalm was an acrostic, right? The ABCs of, of David's uh, reliance on the Lord, except verse 22. Verse 22 does not fit the pattern and thus calls our attention to it in and of itself. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Listen, if you and I take our refuge in Christ, there is no condemnation. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How do we know God will be faithful to his word? How do we know that God will actually deliver us from our afflictions, all of them? We know it because he delivered Christ. We know it because Christ is right now reigning, ruling supremely. All things are under his feet. Therefore, the call on your life and the call on my life is to be radiant through afflictions. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, as we look at this text this morning, we see all that you did for David in the life of him. Lord, he, he, he says that you, you will not leave us, Father. You will not condemn us. But Lord, you will redeem us yourself. And so, Father, Lord, no matter what the trials are that we walk through, no matter what the afflictions are that we walk through, Lord, we can walk through with a face that shines for Christ. We can be a people. We can be a church, Lord, through the Holy Spirit. that continues to shine for you in the midst of afflictions, through affliction, knowing that the afflictions are not the end of our story. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, for all the ones in this room who are suffering, who are wrestling with deep and weighty things, Father, wondering where you are, Lord, I pray that you would make known to them your great love. Lord, that there is no condemnation in Christ. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be turned, reminded once again the glorious grace of the gospel. 
Lord, we need your help. Lord, I pray now as we walk into our communion time, Lord, that we would taste and we would see that the Lord is good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that.